1: Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back. It's Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on BuffaloRumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, the longtime host of this program, being joined as I am each and every Bills week with Jamie D'Amico. Jamie, great to have you on here as we are getting Buffalo Bills fans ready for a week three showdown with the Washington football team. I know uh Jamie we're a preview podcast but I want to spend a couple of minutes recapping the beatdown that was week 2 in South Beach. How did you enjoy your sushi last Sunday? So I loved the final outcome. I didn't love the first 3 quarters
2: of the game. It looked like the Bills were they were struggling a little bit on offense and I was ready for them to really get into a groove. Yet somehow they were scoring points in droves. And I was sitting there saying to myself, they don't even look like they're pulling out all the stops yet. They're missing open receivers. They're not blocking all that well on the offensive line. Hmm. Boy, Josh Allen isn't actually playing well. And then it hit me. They beat down a team 35 zip. And they weren't even playing their best. Hallelujah! My God, I'm
1: glad we are where we are. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's it's. Look, we're spoiled lately with the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, Buffalo Bills. You know, you you win 35 to nothing over a divisional foe that's supposedly closest to you, the team next in line that wants to challenge for the AFC East crown, and you deliver a whooping. On their turf, you knock out their starting quarterback. Tua has cracked ribs after that vicious hit that AJ Appanessa put on him. Uh, Defense gets six sacks. I kind of called it. I said there'd be at least four or five on last week's podcast. I think I called for two or three turnovers. There were two plus the four turnovers on downs uh, that Miami committed. The fact that we're nitpicking, it is a big nitpick. It is a big nitpick. The accuracy issues for Josh Allen, the ball placement issues for Josh Allen. This offense has not looked like its prolific self through the first two weeks. But then you realize, A, the Bills are 1-1, and and B, the Bills have the highest point differential in the league through two games. So it's still time to work on the offense. Time to work on the offense, specifically better blocking. And, you know,
2: in watching the past two games, I can tell you exactly what the issues are with Josh Allen. He's stepping to the left instead of stepping into his throws and he's fading away away. He's, he's throwing the ball off balance. He's fading back into the left. And if you're a Seinfeld fan back into the left, back (laughs) into the left,
1: left. (laughs) anyway, uh,
2: once he straightens that out and starts throwing from a strong balanced base, All the problems are going to go away. And how do we know he's going to correct that? Well, that was his problem in 2019. He corrected it last year. He's coachable. He wants to do great. I'm not worried about it. We've got a full season for him to get straightened out. And if the defense plays this well, well, hey, I don't know that they're going to need Josh Allen to be prolific throughout the season in order to get W's.
1: You have been a champion uh, throughout this entire podcast, Jamie, of the coachability of Josh Allen. And I have to believe if if two fans, you and I sitting here uh, from a 3000 foot view can kind of look back and and see what Josh is doing wrong. The 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 the, all we heard this offseason was how quarterback guru Jordan Palmer was using technology to get Josh to improve his mechanics and to make sure that his body weight was being distributed evenly and he wasn't off balance. And then you see the I'm willing to write off the Pittsburgh game because Pittsburgh's front four is a beast. But with Miami, the issue I had the ball placement was off because you're right. He was off balance. He wasn't properly planting. His weight wasn't properly distributed. And maybe part of that's due to the fact that he's worried how much time the O-line is going to give him. But I feel like with enough time and enough coaching and enough practice reps, Josh will fix that. And the defense does mask a lot of the issues that the offense is going through, as does a great ground game. It was so refreshing to see Devin Singletary bust off that 46 yard touchdown run finished with 82 yards on the ground, seeing Zach Moss go beast mode, truck stop, oh, man. run over dudes for Miami. How awesome was
2: that, Dude, man? those goal line runs that he had were just, they were epic. They were season highlights. With one exception, they're not going to keep showing the, the better of the two runs because the guy who hit him and knocked him back a yard hurt himself on the play, hurt his arm, had to come out of the game. And oh, by the way, that linebacker had a five-yard running start. Weighs in at 237 pounds. Couldn't get couldn't get Moss down. It was amazing. However, however, if you take out that 146-yard run,
1: Singletary only averaged three yards per carry. Hmm. That's where I think you're going to see a combination of of what Moss does well and what Singletary does well week in and week out. You're not going to see a an RB one. From this backfield. It's gonna be a committee, and that's fine. You know, I I was just more happy with the fact that even if Singletary was gaining three, four, five yards a carry when he was running, it was keeping the defense honest. They couldn't sit back and pin their ears back and play confusing zone schemes, trying to confuse Josh with where the coverage was. They had to respect the play action. They had to respect the pre-snap motions that Brian Dable was doing with the offense. And I think that really That balance is going to be key. And I think that's actually a really good segue into our preview for week three with the football team out of Washington, which comes in with a one and one record, same as the Buffalo Bills. Jamie, I feel like as much as Bills fans might want Josh to come out and look, we'd love to see him throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and look like vintage 2020 Josh Allen. I don't think that's the script that Brian Dable wants to follow to be successful on Sunday. You don't, huh? Interesting. Well, here, here's my rationale for it, and feel free to call me crazy or call me a lunatic. I feel like the best way that the Bills can take it to this Washington team is old school pounding the rock football, where they're it's a, and they're they're still going to air the ball out, but. The way I think you neutralize a Chase Young and a Montez Sweat and the talent that Washington has on this defensive line, and make no mistake, this is a very talented defensive front that Washington's bringing to Buffalo for this game on Sunday. I think the ground game is the way, if you start off early and often and find success running the ball, that will set up the play-action pass. That will then lead to Josh getting chances downfield to make the home run throws don't don't get me wrong i think josh is going to have 300 passing yards on sunday i think he's going to connect on a home run ball to gabe davis i think he's going to have more success with the aerial attack but early on to set the tempo i want to see the bills run the ball and have great success against washington i think that takes their playmakers on defense out of the equation early on
2: i think i have a slightly different recipe and yes i I do want to see that happen However. Chase Young, Duran Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat. I'm not convinced that the Bills offensive line can handle all four of those guys. In fact, the way Darrell Williams has played, it looks like Montez Sweat could have himself a big day. Duran Payne at defensive tackle is a 330-pound load who's going to line himself up over John Feliciano. And we saw what happened with Casey Hayward being lined up over uh Over Feliciano. So, my concern is the Bills are not going to be able to push these guys around and they're not going to be able to necessarily keep them out of the backfield for any length of time. My key to offensive success is going to be short passes over the middle and to make their linebackers work. Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, and John Bostick are their linebackers and they're slow. The Achilles heel. Of this Washington football team is those guys can't run. So script ways of getting Dawson Knox out there. Dawson Knox, the guy who I said was going to have five receptions last week, wasn't even targeted five times, much less had five receptions. <laughs> However, This could be his coming out party. This is when you could see a lot of interesting passes to the running backs, maybe the tight ends, and even Cole Beasley getting scripted into ways of getting some matchup nightmares out there. Now, they'll probably put their nickel back on him, as they always do, but expect to see some pick-and-rub plays because the linebackers cannot run with the Bills offense.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how much uh, Davis, the the young Mike uh, linebacker for Washington, uh, he he's very talented, um, he's very athletic, but he just does seem lost out on the field. Especially and I watched the Thursday night game with the New York Giants where. Washington was lucky to escape with that victory. Uh, former Bill Dustin Hopkins pushed a 48-yarder wide right, but there was an offsides encroachment penalty against the Giants. He got a redo and he made the 43-yarder, and the football team of Washington even its record at one and one. But there were plays where Daniel Jones was just running wild, and you're right, the backers for Washington are slower. Um, they're not. They're they're more of like your prototypical you know, linebackers from when we were growing up, you know, not these hybrid, uh, freak of nature speed guys who can cover a ton of territory. So I think you're right. I think there's definitely an advantage for the tight ends and Dawson Knox, uh, for Cole Beasley and for Emmanuel Sanders to take advantage of the middle of the field. Um, I just, I don't know, for some reason, Jamie, I've convinced myself that Buffalo has an advantage in the ground game. And I think it's because, I don't know. Maybe I watched too much of what the Giants were able to do and what the Chargers did in week one, but I feel like Washington can be had. I think Washington can be had on the ground game. I get your concerns over the offensive line, but I don't know. Maybe this is the week where Deion Dawkins finally shows he's back to full strength, even though he claims there's no side effects of COVID. We've all seen it. He's not playing at the same level that he did last year and the year prior but I th- count me among the base. It might be an old school philosophy, but I feel like the strong running game can neutralize and take away Washington's defensive line if it's done well. It, oh, it definitely can. And I would love to see it. Last week, a friend of mine
2: uh, who I watch Bill's games with, I watch Bill's games with a couple hundred good friends. But this guy, you know, we've been hanging out watching games for years. And he was saying that the lack of running game was really getting to him because What the Bills didn't seem to be able to do was sustain long drives to hold the ball for five or six minutes and march down the field. He said, I don't even care if they score. I just want them to control the clock for a little while. And I have to agree with that. I have to agree that running the ball is going to be key to taking pressure off of both Josh Allen and the defense because you don't want to keep putting them back out on the field after, you know, three plays, seven plays, eight plays, and only three minutes of game clock has gone by.
1: Well, especially when, no, you're right. You don't want to tire out. Uh, and and given how well Buffalo's defense has been playing and the front four has been playing, and we'll get into the excellent game that Greg Russo had and AJ Epinesa and Ed Oliver up and down the the, the lineup on defense. But When Washington, you look at them, they're giving up almost 127 yards per game on the ground. It's in the bottom third of the league. Um, A mobile quarterback like Josh Allen can have success, just like Daniel Jones did. I just feel like there's an opportunity for the Bills to get out there and establish the run and then sets up. I think this could be a great game where, I mean, not to give away my score prediction, but I don't think this is a one-score game. I don't think this is a 10-point game. I think Buffalo... This is the game the Bills fans will feel better about on both sides of it, almost like a coming out party for the offense. The defense is going to have their way. Washington's offensive line is porous, They're not good. Uh, is a good way to put it. They're, yeah, not great, Bob.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Except for Brendan Sheriff. That guy is excellent.
1: Yes, no, the, you're right. He's kind of like the uh, the the one, the exception, if you will, to to the the rule of Washington having a porous offensive line. And I just, I don't know, I feel like, The crowd's obviously gonna be behind Buffalo. There's so much momentum coming off of the shutout win over Miami. This Bills fan base wants to see a win in person after the frustration and disappointment from the loss to Pittsburgh. I think everything is setting up nicely for Buffalo. I like what I see. And so you're telling me, Jamie, that you're more of a, you want Dable to get the quick passes going. And we really haven't seen a breakout yet from Emmanuel Sanders who had a great quote the other day where he's like I don't care about my my individual stats all I want is this team to win and the wins to start piling up what is your assessment of the wide receivers that the Bills have going up against the safeties and the corners for the Washington football team
2: it's definitely advantage buffalo in, in that department the thing that may be the great equalizer is the excellent pass rushers that that the defense of Washington has, um, you know, Kendall Fuller, uh, William Jackson the third. There, um, I don't know. I, Kendall Fuller is a solid pro. I don't know much about Jackson. Landon Collins is a solid safety, but I don't think that they can run with the receivers the Bills have. And you know, in regard to Manuel Sanders, there have been a number of targets his way. He's been getting open, so his numbers are going to come as the Josh Allen accuracy improves, but I like the Bills receivers against uh, against the defensive backs of Washington, and I'm convinced you're going to see a lot of mesh concepts with the receivers crossing in the middle of the field and trying to put stress on those linebackers uh, on the second level. They're going to try to draw them in with the play action. They're going to try to get receivers right behind them, between them and the safeties. And I'm telling you, those linebackers for Washington are going to have themselves a day trying to uh, keep up with the Bills' offense. Look out
1: for Dawson Knox. I'm telling you. So this is the week Jamie's calling for five receptions for Dawson Knox, who didn't get targeted. I don't believe he maybe had a couple of targets against the three total against the uh, the Dolphins in in week two. I feel like watching again the inferior Giants wideouts and and mostly it was Sterling Shepard and Darius Darius Slayton had a big drop that would have given uh, the Giants a huge uh, touchdown boost. There was also a penalty on a Daniel Jones touchdown run, a hold that call back a score. So Washington was very lucky to even bring a one and one record uh, into this matchup coming up here on Sunday. And I feel like I'm going to Benjamin St. Juiced. Uh, I think it's how you say it. He's one of the younger cornerbacks uh, that Washington uh, drafted um, to join their secondary of, of, of Jackson and Fuller. I just think that the matchups are so overwhelmingly slanted towards the Bills wideouts and You know, especially uh, with with Stefan Diggs, we have not yet seen him. And I mean, there was a beautiful play that Josh had on that touchdown pass to Diggs where he kept the play alive, kept the play alive, was rolling, rolling, rolling and threw across his body and hit Diggs in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. We haven't seen the Diggs Allen connection get going. We haven't seen, you're right, Sanders and Josh hook up on a long play. I think everything is aligning perfectly for the Bills passing game. To again have a ginormous effort against Washington and really, you know, put a lot of points on the board. I, I'm calling it right now. Buffalo is going to eclipse 30 points in this game.
2: Okay, I I would not be opposed to that. <laughs> so here's my question for you, though. Taylor Heineke statistically is the best quarterback that the Bills will have played against this season. He is ahead of Ben Roethlisberger. Jacoby Brissett, and Tua Tagovailoa in every statistical category except uh, except yards. He's passing for over 70%. I think he's at like 73%. His uh, yards per pass is up around eight. He's played well. And we don't have a lot of tape on him. How do we feel about playing against a Taylor Heineke as opposed to the guy we wanted to to, at minimum, be announced as a starter so we could give him a standing ovation, Ryan Fitzpatrick.
1: Yeah, I feel like there would have been more potential for turnovers with Fitzy, you know, just because of the way, you know, he, and not just because he wants to give Buffalo some uh, extra possessions and he has a soft spot for Western New York. I feel, like Of course
2: not. Sometimes he just goes full on Fitz.
1: Full on Fitz is like full on Brett Favre where turnovers can happen and and bad plays can get forced. I mean, there was that interception that Heineke threw uh, against the giants where it was basically like, what the hell are you doing that the receiver got rubbed a little bit, but there was no, there was nothing that Heineke could have seen that would have made him think that McLaurin was open uh, on that pass. that got picked off. They were lucky to, you know, get the ball back, but Heineke scares me a little bit in the fact that he has nothing to lose whatsoever. like, It's house money that he's playing with. This is his job. There's nobody breathing down his neck uh, for this job to win back until Fitzy comes back from the hip flexor that he suffered. What worries me about Heineke is not necessarily him, the quarterback. I mean, his numbers are good. He's gone up against some pretty not great secondaries. What worries me is more what Buffalo is going to bring to the table on Sunday. The news came out earlier today that both Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are questionable now for Sunday's game against the football team. They both have knee issues. They both were full participants in Friday's practice. But the questionable designation, especially for Levi, who was a uh, full participant, I believe on Wednesday, then was held out on Thursday. I'm hoping it's just a matter of the cramps and the sore knee needing to work itself out and being a precaution. If Buffalo goes into this game on Sunday down their second and third corners and with the weapons that Heineke has to throw to, especially with Terry McLaurin, who was just on a tear so far to start the year, that's where I would get concerned. Yeah,
2: I mean, we have said since the beginning that cornerback depth is a problem, and these guys are proving to be a little bit fragile this year. So I am surprised Brandon Bean didn't have a plan B in cases like this. Is there somebody that he's looking at Via the trade route, is there somebody that's going to be available? I I'm just I'm surprised we don't have a better outlook because we've said it all along. One injury that could be pretty ugly, especially if it's Trey.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, if Trey goes down, the whole complexion of the secondary and the whole complexion of the defense doesn't matter how quickly the Bills' front linemen are getting after the opposing quarterback. If Trey is down, then good night. I mean, that's going to be a whole different. Uh, ball game when it comes to Buffalo's defense and the tenacity, the, the tenacity, the ferocity with which they play, they lose all of that with Trey being gone. I I've heard some bills fans and some message boards discussing an old name that we've talked about uh, coming back, not coming back, but coming to Buffalo to help join the fold. And it's Richard Sherman, uh, who right now uh, is still a, a free agent. I believe he doesn't have a team. Um, he's looking to, to get back in the league. Um, He and I assume at this point of the year, with it already being, you know, coming up on week three, he would need time to get acclimated. He could be a solution that a team turns to, especially a banged up team like Buffalo that has some uh, very high aspirations for this season. I feel like Sherman would be a really nice addition uh, to that locker room. And I can't imagine he'd cost a pretty penny at this stage of the game.
2: No, but a few weeks ago, he was accused of sexual assault. So that probably takes him right on out. It was sexual assault or domestic violence?
1: Yeah, no, that, and that's the major caveat. That's a huge, you know, huge thorn in his side. And obviously, Brandon Bean values high character guys. I just put it out there because he would be the best on a, from an on-field performance standpoint. I think he'd be the best addition that the Bills could bring in. But we've also said this all along too, Jamie, the Bills brass feels very confident in who they have at cornerback and who they have on this roster. And they might have that ride or die mentality with the guys in the locker room. And I'm not sure
2: why they feel so confident.
1: Well, especially, it was actually interesting to hear some honesty coming out of Leslie Frazier. Uh, I believe it was after uh, it was after the last preseason game for sure. And he might've echoed it before the season started when he was describing Dane Jackson's play as inconsistent. That was like the first moment that I think I'd heard a bills coach actually not be effusive in his praise towards the seventh rounder out of Pittsburgh, which makes me think that maybe they're finally starting to come around a little bit that these guys aren't just, you know, diamonds in the rough.
2: Yeah, or, you know, it may be a motivation tactic. Um, Hard to know, but Leslie Frazier, that's one of those guys that I have faith in. And when he speaks, I think people tend to listen.
1: And the Bills definitely better listen because, Jamie, this Washington team can definitely put up some points. Uh, But the other reason, too, is I feel like the Giants, if you talk about strengths of that team, their secondary is not a strength at all, And with Heineke having such a great game against them, I feel like he's going to come back to earth this week. And especially because I just don't see how he's going to have the time to stand up and find those receivers. You know, Logan Thomas is a great safety blanket. And selfishly, I wish Buffalo had seen uh, the talent because he's really the tight end that they've been searching for you know, for 25 plus years with how physical, how great of a blocker and how fantastic of a receiver he is. The Bills would love to have somebody like that uh, versus the erratic play of, of a Dawson Knox. But I just have a hard time seeing a scenario where Heineke has enough time to find the receivers downfield, given how well Groot and Jerry Hughes and the rest of that front four happens to be playing when it comes to the pressure. And then you add in a really weak offensive line. This is another week, Jamie, where I can't wait to see the stat numbers for quarterback hits and sacks against Washington.
2: I'm with you on Logan Thomas. He had 73 receptions for over 800 yards last year. Yeah, that would have been really nice in Buffalo. I wish that they, I I wish that they stuck with him a little bit longer, but I, eh, I get it. Um, I'm with you when it comes to the Bills' defensive front. I mean, it's almost like they're doing a lot better now that Star Lutilele is back. Can you imagine?
0: (laughs) Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience.
3: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: We mentioned Levi and Dane Jackson being questionable. They're both dealing with knee issues. Starr was a full participant Friday um, after having some issues. I believe he had an ankle uh, issue. He's dealing, sorry, he had a groin injury that he suffered during warmups last Sunday, uh, which is a very, you're, you're almost wondering like, uh, you know, how the big man did suffer that injury during warmups when most veterans know not to go, you know, full strength, they want to save it for the game, but that run defense for Buffalo, Washington has very good running backs Antonio Gibson is an outstanding dual threat for them. Uh, he's averaging, I think, nine, 85 yards a game so far through his first two weeks. JD McKissick is your classic scat back who is a great threat out of the backfield to catch passes uh, and be a screen threat, be a, uh, an angle threat. He's somebody who can really fly when he gets in space. I feel like Buffalo's defense has been very underrated, especially when it comes to the ground game. I think the Bills are giving up 72 or 73 yards rushing per game, which is clearly in the top 10. So if Washington wants to run the ball, I say go for it because I think that's strength versus strength.
2: Statistic, I know I'm switching gears a little bit on you, but a statistic that I found very interesting about A.J. Epinesa, his get-off time, which means his time from the ball being snapped to completing his first step is second in the NFL to only Joey Bosa. Did we see that coming last year?
1: You know, I definitely did not. Um, but I think what's been fantastic about Epinesa is you know, we talked, to, and I think his his surprise uh, dominance so far this year has really been all about the fact that he finally – is playing at a weight that he wants to be playing at versus being told by the Bills brass um, to 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 do to fluctuate. You know, he he played at a much different weight than he was used to in Iowa, and you're just seeing it. I mean, the swim move that he put on that poor right tackle for Miami on that fourth down play uh, that caused an incomplete pass, the, the bull rushing, the fact that he didn't get a sack, but he should get credited for so many hurries and get, when you're putting yourself in the same category as Joey Bosa for your speed off the line of scrimmage, who boy, that's a nice asset to have there. I think he is really proving that he's a breakthrough breakout candidate and that's got to make the bills coaches and Leslie Frazier very happy because you know, you get, Uh, You get Gregory Russo, who's having a really nice start to his pro career. He had two sacks against the Dolphins. You know, the rest of the front four, Jerry Hughes is going to be making his presence known in the backfield. That's, again, why I don't see how Heineke has time to succeed, given all the multitude of weapons that Frazier can deploy to get after him and make him uncomfortable. And you know that that pressure is going to lead to turnovers. Absolutely. I just want to see the Bills keep it up. Epinesa
2: had nine pressures. You said Rousseau had a day with two sacks. He had five pressures and two tackles for loss. And he's going up against a guy over on the uh, right-hand side of the line, Sam Cosme. Not a good player. This could be a huge day for Gregory Rousseau.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I do want to give you credit, Jamie, for what you were saying about with um, with Epinesa. Nine pressures on 28 pass rush snaps in the win over the Dolphins, um, that big pressure out of fourth down, the knockout hit of Tua, he drew an intentional grounding penalty. Uh, he basically was a Superman out there. I mean, Rousseau and Justin Zimmer don't get their sacks without Epinesa's pressure and disruptive force out there. I mean, that's those are things that don't show up in the box score, but you watch the game and you're like, holy shit, have yourself a day, young man. Yeah, you know what? He
2: and let's not forget the uh, unbelievable play of Matt Milano this season, who was not only everywhere on on Sunday against the Dolphins, but the week before against against the Steelers. Currently, Pro Football Focus has Matt Milano ranked the number one linebacker in the NFL. This guy, if he keeps this up, all pro. And he's worth every dollar they gave him in that big raise.
1: Now, how do you see Milano and Edmonds and the rest of Buffalo's linebacking core? What's their game plan going to be for neutralizing Logan Thomas? Because I mentioned the speed of which Heineke is going to have to get rid of the ball. How do you see Logan Thomas impacting this game?
2: He's the one that worries me a little bit because the Bills have been somewhat susceptible to athletic tight ends. So you're probably going to see a combination of linebackers and safeties covering him depending on what's you know, what the defensive call is, I think that you're probably going to see more safeties in the box, maybe with a cover one over the top. And the reason for that is you want to get some bodies down there to defend against the run, but also you want somebody who can run with Logan Thomas because the guy can move. He's also very tall and he's not as large as a lot of the, uh, like he's not Gronk size. Let's put it that way. Um, so he's not going to destroy you with strength alone, but he is tipping the scales at 250 pounds, six, six. He's a definite matchup nightmare. So I think you're going to see some switching on and off between linebackers and safeties, and they're probably going to play a bit of zone as well, just to try to keep everything in front of them and make sure that, you know, their eyes are in the backfield for the run. They know where Logan Thomas is and, You can't talk about the Washington offense without talking about Terry McLaurin, who, despite the fact that he's been playing for a team that isn't great, is one of the best receivers in the NFL.
1: He really is. I mean, Terry McLaurin is a scary matchup nightmare for anybody. You know, he's just so he seems to like make and I've actually uh, I did go back and I watched the Thursday night game with the Giants and I saw a lot of the highlights of the week one matchup with the Chargers with what McLaurin brings to the table i mean he is going to be incredibly difficult for the bills to guard and that's why like i think trey white's going to get the responsibility of taking on and it's, it's no shocker that your best corner goes up against you know especially i mean with the bills showing more especially when they're in man-to-man sets it's going to be trey on terry and that matchup is definitely one you're going to want to circle to watch amongst bills fans on sunday but the fact that mclaurin is just so good at like there's times you see him and he's like jammed at the line of scrimmage and he shouldn't be open and he gets the tiniest sliver of space and he's got a good rapport with Heineke going back to that playoff game against the Buccaneers last postseason. I'm I'm worried about Logan Thomas and I'm worried about Terry McLaurin. Those are the guys that keep me up at night if I'm Leslie Frazier.
2: I'm 100% with you. I agree with that. Those are their
1: game-breaking players. And you got to know where they are on every play. Do you think with that being said, Jamie, that we are going to see more man looks from Leslie Frazier on Sunday? No, I don't think so. I, I think that they're going to do what they do best, which is play
2: the zone, especially if they're getting into their backup and maybe even third cornerback. You can cover for those players better when you're not matching them up man to man.
1: Well, especially that's a good point to note, Jamie, because the Bills will have to find out what the health status is going to be of, again, Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace Um, Even if that were to be the case and they were down, look for Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer to continue their outstanding stretches to start the year of being ball hawks and and neutralizing the Washington offense, uh, which I think comes in as a decided disadvantage matching up with the Buffalo defense here in week three. The Bills are looking for their first home win of the year. Washington, by the way, Jamie, you know how I love to bring these little stat nuggets to you and uh you know the 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 little knowledge bombs I try to drop on our audience out here. So Washington, believe it or not, the last time they came to to Western New York, it was 2019. It had been the first time in 16 years that Washington had come and actually played a game in Buffalo because the last time they were on the schedule, it was part of that Toronto series. Did you know the last time A Washington football team got a win in Western New York, 1987.
2: Whoa. You know what? I was at that game. No way. Yeah, I really was. Now that you mention it, yeah. Starting left Bill's defensive end, Sean McNanny hit Jay Schrader and just like put his shoulder down, rocked him. Knocked the ball loose, Bills scoop it up, going for a touchdown. But Whistle blew. They called in the grasp, even though oh. he never wrapped him up. That would have been a big swing in the game.
1: This this game is not a game that many Bills fans want to relive leading up to the Week 3 showdown. Buffalo lost 27-7. It was 27-0 uh, through three quarters. Jim Kelly in the offense completely stymied by a very good Washington defense the fact that the then Redskins and Jim Kelly threw three interceptions that day was sacked three times the ground game oh my god I'm looking at the box score here this is of course before Thurman Thomas the Bills ran for 21 yards in the game on. Leading rusher, I'm guessing, was Rob Riddick. You are correct, my friend. Six carries for 19 yards. He had a 12-yarder, and then he had five other carries for seven total yards. So, <laughs> not good.
2: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, those bills. That 1987 team
1: wasn't quite ready yet. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at this, by the way. Time of possession that day. Washington, 40 minutes and 58 seconds. Buffalo 1902. What?
2: Oh, man. That Washington team went on to win the Super Bowl.
1: Yes. That was the, uh, that was when, uh, uh, Doug Williams came in for, uh, for Jay Schrader and Timmy Smith had that like 200 yard performance against the Denver Broncos. John Elway goes home frustrated. And you can look back to that win in Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo was three and three at the time and, uh, yeah, that was really not a, a great performance. That was the last time. Again, there haven't been too many of these occasions, but that was the last time the Bills lost a game to Washington in Western New York on Sunday. It's another matchup. The Bills really, Jamie, have owned this rivalry with Washington. They've won eight of their or seven of their last nine matchups with the football team. Um, including, of course, a 24-9 to victory in 2019. That was a Dwayne Haskins start. The Bills just dominated that game start to finish. How do you see Sunday's game playing out? What's your score prediction bound to go wrong? So this game
2: opened with the Bills as a 9.5-point favorite, and as of the last time I looked, which was yesterday, that had shrank to an 8-point favorite. I don't think the Bills are going to cover I think that this game is going to be closer than we expect because maybe that game in 2019 stands out to me as being a a close, hard-fought game, Uh, a game where Washington definitely played really well in the trenches. I think this is going to be a 26-21 Bills
1: victory. Wow. So you're saying the Bills don't... And now I just checked, by the way, it's down to a seven-point spread, which is concerning because Vegas knows what they're doing. There's a reason the house always wins. They know where to place the odds and where to place the line. It's down to a seven from nine and a half. So you're saying the bills don't even cover that number on Sunday.
2: I don't think so. I I, I wish I'd put money on this game back on Monday when it was nine and a half.
1: Wow. Jamie, that's, um. you know, I hope that, uh, look, the, 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 end, the end result is, you know, <laughs> Sean McDermott doesn't care about the spread. He wants to to get the win out there um, versus how many points the team's able to cover by. I just I maybe I'm giddy with enthusiasm and excitement off of the week two performance, but I see Buffalo coming away and winning this one comfortably. Uh, I think Taylor Heineke is going to have his worst game as a pro. I think that the bills are not going to let Gibson or McKissick get anything going. Logan Thomas is going to get his. And I think that that's definitely going to be a a concern for the Buffalo defense. I'm going to come out here and say Buffalo wins this one 30 to 13. Ooh, God, I'd love that. That would be fun. Total domination. Josh will throw for over 300 yards Zach Moss gets another two touchdowns on the ground. Devin breaks off another long run, a bunch of sacks for the bills defense out there. And everyone goes back to feeling pretty good about uh, the bills with back to back victories to get to two and one, of course, heading into the will to Taylor play in week four, or will we get more of Davis mills and the train wreck that is the Houston Texans?
2: Oh, we're getting more Davis mills. Uh, Tarad is
1: on the injured reserve list. So wow, that's that's really interesting. The fact that if you had told me the Bills, their first four opponents, they'd have Big Ben, and then they'd have basically Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, and Davis Mills. Not necessarily the murderer's row of opposing signal callers. No, absolutely not.
2: And it's really a break for the Bills, if you think about it, because they're sort of easing into their biggest test of the season, coming up in a few weeks against Kansas City. And really. These are just tune-ups because that's the game when we're going to find out who the Bills really are. These games, to me, they're these are slam dunks. Well, at least I'm hoping these are slam dunks, knock on wood. They need to work some things out and stay healthy so
1: they can go into that game feeling
2: fresh and confident.
1: Well, you can bet one thing, Bills fans, Jamie and I are always working on our game in between podcast episodes coming up with great nuggets to drop here on Believe a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. We want to hear your thoughts. Do you think the Bills are going to eke out a five point win or something like that? Like Jamie's calling for or do you believe I have it right with more of a blowout victory 30 to 13 for Buffalo here on Sunday? Make sure you get involved with our podcast. We want to hear from you on Twitter. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico. I am at John Casino. You can also, of course, comment on our articles on BuffaloRumblings.com. We thank you so much for checking out the latest episode of Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast.
3: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.